Welcome to the Cake Sugar Coach podcast. Join me each week as I interview experts who will share the science of sugar, sugar addiction, and different approaches to recovery. We hope to empower you with the information and inspiration, insights, and strategies you need to break up with sugar and fall in love with healthy whole foods so you can prevent and reverse chronic disease, lose weight, boost your mood, and energy. Feel free to go to my website for details on my coaching programs and to access free resources, kicksugarcoach.com. Hello, everybody, and welcome to a very, very special interview. I'm super excited about it. We are going to be uh, hearing the story um, and gifts of a woman by the name of Katie Beecher. She's a medical and emotional intuitive, a licensed professional counselor. She's been featured in numerous media outlets, including Poosh, Miranda Kears, Cora Organics, and Goop, who called her eerily or um, accurate. As part of her readings, she creates a detailed multi-page report and a soul painting, only based on two pieces of information, the name and the age of the individual. She's been working with people for over 30 years, helping them transform their lives and their health. In 1983, Katie was severely depressed, 16-year-old, riddled with anxiety and suicidal thoughts. After four years of trying to fight her eating disorder, she was struggling with bulimia and carb and sugar addiction, probably sort of in there too, yes, she decided she couldn't go on. Binging and purging three times a day, abusing laxatives and diuretics and living in a dysfunctional family had taken its toll. Rather than taking her life in the spring of that year, Katie describes uh, a divine intervention. She came home from school one day and without telling anyone, called her family pediatrician and asked for the name of a therapist. He referred her to Jean Sutherland, a a Jungian psychologist who literally saved her life. She has since gone on to learn how to connect to her intuition, find self-love, embrace her psychic and medium abilities, which previously she had avoided and feared. Uh, She's been recovered for over 30 years and considers her eating disorder and all of that pain and struggle that she was in to be the pivot point, the greatest of of, uh, gifts. It taught her to connect her intuition, to find self-love and self-acceptance and the truth that we can heal from anything. She's the author author of a book called Heal From Within, A Complete Guide to Healing in Mind, Body and Spirit. Highly recommend that you you track down a copy. It is both on Audible and you can get it hard copy if you're old school that way. So welcome, Katie. Thank you so much for having me. What an amazing journey. I mean, most of us struggle and how many women don't struggle with food really in one way or another, but how many of us are just in the grips of exactly where you're at at 16, so defeated and discouraged and demoralized trying to sort out this food problem we have. And it ranges from binging to bulimia to um, compulsive, impulsive, restricting the whole shebang. Sure, sure, sure. No peace. And not only did you heal that, but you actually went on to discover these extraordinary gifts. So amazing. So tell, tell us about that pivot point when you were back at 16 and you were like faced with, I'm either going to check out here or I'm going to have, I'm going to ask for help. Can, do you remember what that pivot point was like? I, I remember the day, like, I don't remember what made me make that decision, um, I had tried so many times, you know, to to quit doing all that on my own and to heal on my own. As most people dealing with that do, you try everything and you think you can do it and you're ashamed. So you don't want to tell people and, you know, especially being 16 years old. Um, but that's why I describe it as divine intervention, because I don't know if it was like around the time I got accepted to college and got a scholarship and realized like I did have some hope to get out and to move on with my life. Um, but I was just like, I had never told anyone. So it was kind of bizarre, but I remember standing at the, you know, the dial up phone that I had in 1983, um, and calling and just being really terrified and embarrassed, but also being like, no, it's time. Cause the doctor was like, you know, I'm sure you're fine. It's okay. You'll grow out of it or whatever. And I'm like, no dude, like this is not okay. I, I really need your help. Um, and it took me three months to call her <laughs> after I got the name or two months or something like that. You know, it took a little while. Um, but I just was like, I can't do this on my own. There's nothing wrong with that. 
I need help. I need support. It was bigger than me and um, was very fortunate to connect with the right kind of person for me. Um, and for your listeners who um, don't know what Jungian psychology is like, it's very much about connecting to intuition, listening to yourself, finding the answers within yourself, um, looking at things like your shadow, which is where you push down all of your feelings and shame and things you don't like about yourself and bringing those to light and finding self-love and self-acceptance, you know, realizing like you may have stuff that you don't like or is it going well, but yeah, so does everybody else. And by talking about that, by bringing it all to light, it has such symbolic power. Um, and they were also, it's also very accepting of like psychic abilities and astrology and, and all that kind of mythical stuff. So it was an environment where I felt safe talking about me talking to dead people and picking up evil energy and having really weird experiences, you know, that I, I couldn't explain. And it was just so accepting that recovering was the hardest thing I've ever done in my life. And it wasn't the giving up the eating disorder behavior. It was allowing myself to love and accept, excuse me, love and accept myself. You know, that was the hardest part, um, which is sad because we're all born with that and it should come automatically and somewhere along the way we unlearn it. Wow. That is so profound. I know we fight so hard with the substances in our case. A lot of the people that will probably listen to my podcast will find me because they're, they're addicted to sugar and they're struggling with food and, you know, and we think that's so hard just letting go, but the next step, the self-love, the self-acceptance, the healing, the deeper recovery work takes so much courage. It does. And, and I, I really look at eating disorders and sugar addiction, like any other addiction. And it really starts from a place of feeling so sad or abandoned or just, you know, grieving or whatever the stuff is, but it, it comes from such a sad, desperate place. And you don't think that you're strong enough to handle how you're feeling or that people will accept you or you're afraid of being different or of having feelings and being vulnerable or of using your voice. So all of that gets pushed down. And I don't know what it is about humans and I don't know if other animals do this too, but you know, our tendency is to find something to distract us and like anything, it could be gambling. It could be whatever the thing, you know, walking, whatever, gaming, whatever, but you know, you find something and it's great that it distracts you, but then it become, it takes over. And then with sugar and carbs, you have the, the chemical component that all addiction has a chemical component. Don't get me wrong. But I think, and you know, you can please talk about this, that I think there's just that added chemical component of the addictive nature of that sugar and the endorphins that it creates and the, the dopamine and the whole thing where you, it really sort of, it starts by easing the anxiety because it creates good, good neurochemicals, right? So it starts by easing that anxiety and then you just, you don't realize that you can get that in other ways. So you just like, okay, I'm going to go to this. I'm going to go to this. And um, it soon takes over and kind of has a life of its own, you know? Yes. And brings many of us to the knees, right? I don't know. I don't know very many sugar addicts truly who haven't been suicidal who haven't reached that dark, dark place. I just don't want to live. Like it's just, it's too hard. It's yeah. Yeah. And I think too, I find anyway that so much of healing from any kind of addiction, addiction is acceptance. So the first step is to be like, yeah, this is a mess. And, and I can't do this by myself. This is a real actual problem. I have to address it. And for me anyway, um, having lived my life 100% focused on food and what I ate and didn't eat and how many calories I took in and how much, how many cups of water I drank. It's very crazy obsessive. Um, I had to get to a point where I was okay 
with what my body wanted. And a lot of people who have sugar addiction, they need to totally cut it out of their lives. And I totally get that. Um, For me, I was fortunate that I was able to use intuitive eating to listen to my body and to learn that there was no good or bad food, you know, necessarily. And I could listen. I do it today. I have a sweet tooth, you know, but I can listen to that and be like, all right, I want something sweet. And what is going to kind of make my body feel good and make my mind feel good and not send me on a spiral of just, you know, eating things that don't taste good or that we don't want, or just because it's sweet or, you know, so now I can be like, I can have a couple of pieces of chocolate or I can do whatever and listen to myself enough and slow down and be like, cool, nothing wrong with you. You had it. It's fine. Um, and cause a lot of the shame really just perpetuates the addictive thoughts and behaviors, you know? Um, so that, that's what works for me. It's not necessarily something that everybody can do and, and we're all different. Yes, totally. Absolutely true. And maybe because you caught, you caught it so young at 16, you start to turn that around. I mean, I certainly, when you see in the addiction literature, it's almost as if there's a point where there is a point of no return. Yeah. No matter how hard we try to moderate, no matter how hard we try to intuitive eat, it just, it just is so exhausting to try and keep it within reasonable, right? right? And maybe it's because that deeper recovery work, being really tuned in, connected to the body and being resourced from, you know, beyond, it, it, it just isn't there, right? Maybe there's still the, those resources that you were able to build so young at the age of 16, incredible, that you stepped on the path of recovery in such a deep way, so young. Was your family like... A, considering you mentioned they were dysfunctional, were they very supportive of you doing this therapy and helping you pay for it and all those things? That's hysterical. Um, No, um, I didn't even tell them I was going. Um, I just went and I'm like, I had a car and I had a job. And at that time, therapy was $30. So cool beans. Um, No, I remember. Well, okay. The, the day of my first diet started my when my father said to me as I was getting ice cream out of the freezer, um, you should not be eating that because you've put on weight. And I was I went through puberty. I put on 20 pounds. I was fine with it. I was just like, yeah, whatever. Um, but there he is sitting with a huge gut, you know, telling me what I should and should not be eating um, and what is acceptable and what's not acceptable. And I was like, well, screw you. I'm having it anyway. But the day after that was the start of my very first diet. And I did a thousand calories like a good little girl, you know, extreme. Um, Lost 20 pounds over the summer and got tons of attention, including from him who had never really paid any attention to me. And I was like, oh, okay, there's something to this. And then I went right back to what I was eating, Um, you know, gained it all back. And it was just this cycle of, you know. Um, bad cycle. And then it slows down your metabolism because you're eating too less and the the whole thing. Um, But something that we kind of touched on before we started uh, officially talking and, and I think it's, it was an important thing for me to learn. And I think it's important for people to know that I recognized that there was something about my body that metabolized carbohydrates differently, um, non-functionally. And that not only when I started was I out of control, and I really feel like that contributed to the binging and the purging. But I, when I ate, like there was a few times when I tried to block out carbs altogether, could not do it. It was just, I, I could not function. I couldn't do it. Um, but I recognized that when I ate them, I like automatically gained weight. Um, my mood changed. Um, and I realized at that young of an age that there was something different about my body. Um, I had hypothyroid, which the doctors told me I didn't have, but I later found out I did. Um, 
But unfortunately, unless you test like sugar, glucose testing or metabolic testing, unless you are like on extreme sides of the spectrum where doctors actually acknowledge that there's something wrong, you're told that there's not, you know, and there was no doubt. I just knew there's something not right about when I eat carbs, when I eat sugar, it was, it was like I glazed over and this thing took over and had a life of its own. Um, and part of my recovery, not when I first started, but eventually it was like two years before or two years after Prozac first came out. So I took that and much to my surprise, not only did I immediately lose 20 pounds, but I could eat whatever I wanted, including carbs. And I didn't gain weight and I didn't have those same, you know, urges. So I was like, see, I told you. There's something, and it does change your sugar metabolism. It does change, you know, your blood sugar or stuff and your insulin resistance and everything. Um, so I was like, see, 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 I knew. Like, I knew there was something not within my control, that it wasn't about me being weak, you know? And I think um, the more people can learn about how their body processes sugar, um, the more that they can learn about what they can do for themselves to feel supported and more healthy and, um, you know, not like it's this monster that's got a life of its own. Mm -hmm. Very interesting that, yes, there's definitely some evidence to suggest that anti SSRIs or pharmaceuticals, like I know that it's, it's, there's some science that shows it can be helpful with bulimia, right? right? That can be very helpful for bulimia short term. Um, But I'm assuming that long-term, even though it maybe helped you a little bit, that long-term, it was really your deeper recovery work that enabled you to walk away from the eating disorder. Is that right? Oh my gosh. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Because I was at the point when I started it, I was pretty much symptom-free. Like I wasn't binging and purging anymore. It was more just the, the urges, like with the sugar and stuff like that. And then the, I still had that depression. Mm-hmm. It just wasn't as deep. Um, and I am grateful for it. You know, I'm, I'm grateful that I was able to take it. Unfortunately, no one takes you off of it. Uh, and it's been, you know, 30 years and I'm still weaning myself off. I'm at a very low dose, but I'm still weaning myself off. So there's definitely risks to taking it, you know, to take any anti- any antidepressants. Oh, that's interesting that you're still, you're still on it. I just assumed that you, you, you phased it out. Oh, interesting. Yeah. And there's some evidence to suggest as well, not to sort of give people the impression that they should go off and sign up for an SSRI and their eating disorder because there's people that actually struggle to get off sugar when they're on SSRIs. I'm not entirely sure why, but I think that it actually can contribute to insulin resistance. There's some it, right? Does it? Okay. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And it's different with everyone. Ah. Like some people gain weight on SSRI. Some people lose. Some people don't do anything. And it, it depends on the SSRI. So different ones with different people, um, you know, have different effects, which is, it's unfortunate because it's really hard to help people or predict how it's going to impact you. But it's like with anything, you know? Mm-hmm. Very, very interesting. So in terms of the deeper healing work, because this is clearly your realm, like, do you think, I mean, you came from a dysfunctional family, so that was reason enough to sort of find solace in food, you know, that kind of took a life on its own, almost damn, damn near killed you. But was there also the potential that the food was stuffing down, as you said, this fear of this gift of being so intuitive? Like, what role did that fear of that gift play in your your struggle with food? No, I think it was huge. Um there was another factor as well, which I will, I will get to in a moment, but I absolutely think the fear of being authentic, um, the fear of saying, I know what's really going on. Um, these are the feelings that I have about it. I'm going to speak the truth. I'm going to speak up. Um, and I can't always let you know how I know this, you know, but I do. Um, and I, a lot of it was that I picked up negative energy. I picked up evil energy, which no one likes that, you know, but especially when you're young, you're like, ew, I don't want anything to do with that. That's just terrifying. Um, 
had always picked it up from different members of my family, but also we lived in an old house. I thought it was that, you know, whatever. And later realized that I was picking it up from immediate members of my family who um, had addictions of their own, you know, different food and other addictions like gambling and things like that. Um, and I was picking it up from them, um, realizing that they, they weren't on a path of healing or of truth or of spiritual health. They were just so deep into their stuff. Um, and you know, the way that kind of evil acts is that it tells you lies and it doesn't want you to be a healthy, authentic person. And so there was a lot of fear that I learned from growing up in that kind of environment um, that, you know, that did get stuffed for sure. Um, there were very, I could talk to my grandparents about my, um, my weirdness, whatever you want to call it, intuitiveness, you know? Um, but I really, uh, until I started the therapy, I didn't have anybody that I could really actually talk to about it and be like, Oh, okay. So I can talk about this and I'm not weird. Um, it, well, good, weird in a good way. Um, but the other thing that happened, and I think this happens to a lot of people is when I was in fifth grade, I went through puberty really early. Um, so I had breasts and I, the things that happen when you go through puberty and a group of girls decided that that was not okay. And they were going to bully me and throw tampons at me and, um, and ridicule me and my body. And, um, it was, it was really bad. It was a kind of a horrible time. Um, and that went on for a few months. I couldn't escape it. I was in classes with these people all day. There was not, you know, I hadn't, there was nowhere I could go. And I was too embarrassed to tell my parents because I did know they'd go into the school and like demand change. And then it was just get, it would get worse, you know? Um, so I just kind of sat with it, but I learned later that that left me with feelings of, of being sexually abused. Some of the stuff that they did. So, you know, as you probably know, um, addiction and emotional eating and eating disorders, they have a huge relationship with sexual abuse. They really do. Yes. I'm curious about your use of the word evil. So why are you saying evil energy as opposed to negative energy? Is there a difference? Probably not. Um, well, what I was picking up from those people felt very evil. And that is the only way I can describe it is just, it felt inherently evil and bad. And I think that if I were to describe like negative energy, it might be somebody who wasn't necessarily inherently evil, but maybe, um, you know, had narcissism issues or um, didn't set good boundaries you know, or who was trying to make you into the person they wanted you to be instead of allowing you to be authentic or who was trying to suck the energy out of you, who's very needy. You know what I mean? So, so I think that, um, that there is definitely a difference because not everybody who does that is evil. How are you sure that there's such a thing as evil? I'm absolutely sure. And I've picked it up. Like, I'm just, I don't know how I pick it up all the time, but I do like, I can just, it's a, it's a visceral feeling. It's a energetic, you know, level thing of this is really like a dangerous person who has no soul. Um, and it was kind of brought home to me when I was in college and I was talking with my boyfriend. Um, he was in Connecticut and I was in DC and I used to help him talk to his father who had passed away. So I was using my abilities, you know, at that time. Um, all of a sudden I was in his room. Like I'd done an out of body experience thing and I was in his room in Connecticut and I described the moon outside his window. Like I was definitely there. He knew I was there. It was like, and I was, it was sort of like, okay, this is weird. I didn't intend for any of this to happen. Um, and all of a sudden I felt myself on my way back to my body. And I was attached with this silver cord and this thing, um, it was kind of like half monkey, half 
human-y type. It was a very hard thing to describe. Um, but it was literally like a monkey on my back. And it was the most evil energy I'd ever felt in my life. And that is the only way I could describe it was that it's, it was trying to make me different from the way I was and trying to make it so I wasn't going to help people and I wasn't going to be loving and wasn't going to teach people how to love themselves and connect to God and connect to spirit. And it was basically like, nope, I'm getting on you and I'm not letting go. And you're not going to be able to do this work. You're not even going to want to live. Um, but I know that's how evil works. And I just kept saying the Lord's prayer and shook it off, you know, and got back and thankfully had my therapist to talk to. And she didn't treat me like I was crazy. She just said, okay, let's process that. And, um, you know, put protective energy around yourself so that you don't ever have an accidental body experience ever again. Um, but you know, let's deal with this and figure out what's going on and how you can protect yourself. And, um, from then on, I realized that as long as we're connected with love and being, you know, good, decent people that, um, nothing can penetrate that, you know, we are in control. And even then I was in control. I got it away. So it's a very important thing to remember that we do make choices when it comes to our energy and being around other people. Mm, interesting. And I can imagine. So I, I, I don't know. I believe you believe there's evil. I just don't know what that is. Like how, I don't know that it makes sense to me. I believe negativity. I believe the lack of connection to love and the light can show up as, as negativity or, or darkness or despair or stuff like that. But I don't know that I have a personal experience of evil. So I'm glad. I'm very yeah, glad. I'm glad too. I don't want I don't want that monkey on my back. Uh, but I, I I appreciate that um that that our eating disorders I can imagine brings us to such places of despair and low energy and you know that it makes us vulnerable to it to to, to the, those types of energies. I can imagine that. Yeah, I definitely believe that. Um and I think you know, my husband is a retired state police lieutenant, so he has dealt with serial killers. He's dealt with, you know, and he fully believes that there is evil in some people, you know, that it, it does exist. And I guess the way that it makes the most sense to me is just I fully believe in love. Love is an absolute real thing, and it's a hugely powerful energy that is more powerful than any kind of negativity. So if that depth of love exists it kind of makes sense from a yin yang perspective that the opposite of that would be evil or lack of love or intense fear, you know, however you, so mm -hmm. it's more of a, um, you know, kind of like up, there are opposites of things. And if we can yeah. have intense love, you know, so. Yeah. So it's, it's like the absence of love is, is evil, right. right? It just is by, 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 by nature, like the opposite of light is dark. Right. Right. So that just seems to me like a really fantastic extra good reason for us to just get this sorted out because I'm feeling in my own body, like, I don't want to be vulnerable to that. Like, I'm so glad I'm walking the path of making sure that I nourish my body with whole foods that I am working. I'm walking the path of recovery from addiction, that I'm doing this deeper sort of work of connecting to my body and being being moving in the direction of self-love. I won't say I'm there yet, but on the continuum, I am no longer in that really horrible gripping self-hatred that I was in for years. And, and it's a process. And it is a, so tell us a bit about that process of how, where do women who might be listening to this and maybe men too, might be listening to this going, Oh, I I'm in that dark end, that depleted struggling with food, feeling discouraged, you know, and I, I can't even imagine where I'd begin to start to love myself. But where would, where would they start? Well, for me, um, I think that I actually, I just wrote an article about this for core organics. Um, I think that for me, um, self-acceptance needs to come before self-love and, and there's degrees to everything. There's little baby steps to things. It's all of a learning curve. Um, as much as I have done this work, there's always work to do. I can be really hard on myself. I can, you know, look in the mirror and be like, oh my God, there's something I don't like instead of like, yeah, there's a lot of things that you do like. There's a lot of things that you're successful at, whatever. We all, you know, 
icky human nature. Um, but I think that acceptance without judgment of just, this is me. Um, when I was bulimic, I was not thin. I was overweight because I didn't, I wasn't sick enough to throw up as much as I needed to, if I were to want to be super thin, if that makes any sense. Um, so I was grateful for that, but I was like, I thought if I just lose the weight, I'll stop being bulimic. (laughs) Not true. Um, but anyway, so it was like, I had to accept that this was the weight I was at and that it wasn't good or bad. It was just, this is me right now. This is where I'm at. And from that, then I started to be like, okay, if I can accept that, what else about me can I accept? So, you know, I could accept that things about my behavior and thoughts were narcissistic because all I ever thought about was what I weighed and were people watching me eat. And, you know, it was all like me, 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 me. And I would have like that thought was just, I couldn't even deal with it because it was so embarrassing and I didn't want to be like that. And I thought it was just such a weak place to be. But when I realized like that's the nature of addiction, you know, it's, it's very much about you and getting caught up in that. It was like, okay, I can have those addictive tendencies. I mean, narcissistic tendencies and still be a good person and still like, just because I had flaws didn't mean that all of me was a mess, you know, so I can be like, great. And what else can I accept then once I started to, to do that little stuff? Um, you know, I could accept that I was in pain. I could just started to, to feel and be, and a lot of what helped with that was learning to connect to my intuition. This was life-changing and life-saving, and this is all my book, but I believe that intuition is our connection to love. It's pure love. It knows everything about you and loves you anyway. You know, kind of like a dog or a cat. It doesn't care what you weigh. It doesn't care what you're, whatever. You could be wearing your pajamas. It loves you no matter what. And so this connection to this, this higher force, you know, this loving force, I didn't know what it meant at first. So I decided I would just try and talk to God. God meaning our source, where we came from, it loved us unconditionally, blah, blah, blah. So there's a written dialogue technique in my book, but it's like, I learned to, to write to, to talk to this God force and let it talk back to me and allow it to say loving things. Because I didn't know what to do with any of that. I didn't think I was loving at all. So I allowed it to love me. And then I started to be like, okay, I can listen to that. You know, maybe I could incorporate some of that self-love and self-acceptance within myself too. Like I could say nice things to myself and catch myself saying negative stuff or thinking negative stuff and being like, I'm going to challenge that, you know? Um, So it's, it's very much baby steps if you're not used to it. I think another really important piece of that is to discover who you are, because if you don't know who you are, it's really hard to love yourself or to be authentic. So a lot of us are used to pushing our feelings down, being who other people want us to be. Um, that's the nature of addiction. So one of the techniques that I suggest to people is start making a list of all of the things about you. You know, it's not, you're not just defined by one thing or one action. So, you know, like you wear glasses, you have brown hair. I have blonde hair covering gray. Um, you know, um, you know, I have brown eyes. I really like broccoli. You know, I'm not a fan of beets. Um, whatever, all of the little things that make up who you are and let it be a running list. You can keep it on your phone. You can add, subtract all the time because we're always learning more things about us. But the more that we get to know who we are, the easier it is to then be like, okay, this is what's important to me. This is what I stand for. This is what I need to speak up about. This is something not as big of a deal. Um, But the more you get to know you, then you can start expressing you and accepting who you are and learning about all of that stuff. Um, 
And I think that's a really great step for self-acceptance too, is to get to know who you are. Yeah, I love that. And I can imagine that funny enough, it takes as much courage to see what's wonderful about us as it is, Yes. right? Like I can imagine that when you, when you just sit and start to go, okay, well, like what, let's truthfully look at myself. What am I good at? What do I value? What are my strengths? Where, where do I suck? Like what's not my strengths? Where do, where, where do I need? Maybe I'm never going to be good at this kind of things. Right. Um, And just from this place of neutrality, just sort of getting to, like it was a friend that you were trying to, or a character in a movie, and you were just getting to know them and and appreciating the the wonderfulness of them and the quirkiness of them and maybe their flaws or mistakes and, you know, being neutral about it and just observing. I love that. I love the way you just expressed that. Yeah. And because if, if we can focus on us, that is actually really scary. A lot of us have learned to focus on others and take care of others and our identities based on how they feel about us. So if we start to focus on us, that can be very scary because we start to treat other people differently and maybe set boundaries and maybe, you know, it's going to, there's going to be like a big part of my recovery was learning to open my damn mouth and speak up and say, this isn't okay. And I can't have relationships with you because you are unhealthy. So you do start to change and that's scary. Um, there was something, another point I was getting to with that, but yeah, I think um, the more that, Oh, I know what I was going to say. So admitting maybe that you're strong, you know, admitting that you're smart, admitting that you're creative, that whatever, can be scary because then you don't have anything holding you back. If you're in a mode of chaos, if you're into self-deprecation, if you're in addiction mode, whatever, that's a very negative spiral. And we get addicted to that too. You know, you just focus on the negative. But if you say, oh my God, I don't need that anymore. And I'm I'm okay. It's okay to make mistakes. I'm capable. Um, Then you start to be like, well, I want to start this new business. I don't really have anything in my way right now. Or I I do have the strength to get out of this really dysfunctional relationship. Or like it it makes you look at yourself differently. And um, taking those risks, I think, are extremely scary. Yes, I, I've had that experience. We probably all have had the experience where the, our intuition sort of nudges us or suggests a change, and we think, "What? <laughs> what? No, I no, I can't even hear that right now. Just that is not going to happen, right? Like that is just overwhelming me. There's another part it freaks out. Another part of me that's like, "What's she going to do to pay bills? That's a stupid idea, right? Like, and then there's this like pandemonium, right? And, or like, I don't actually need this addiction um i can have feelings i can function i don't really need it but this has been so much of my life patterns so what do i do without it what do i think about what do i focus on god it's easier to feel bad sometimes Right, 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 right. There's this really cool exercise that I've been learning. I've been doing some somatic experiencing trauma recovery work. And uh, one of the one of the exercises that we had to do in this course I'm taking is that we had to spend 30 seconds and only 30 seconds, but 30 seconds remembering, bringing up a memory where we felt real joy, like real joy. And just to feel it for 30 seconds and then just to, to get out of it, like just to leave it be, right? And the whole premise was, is that people who've come from trauma, who have backgrounds of addiction, usually very overlapping there, um, it's uncomfortable and overwhelming to the body to be in positive, joyful states like that that it literally the the, the nerve it, it almost swamps the nervous system it's too much that's yeah um i agree with that and and i often think to myself why do i tend to be hard on myself rather than let go and let spirit be in control and get out of that control mode and and why 
can it be easier sometimes to just be in that negative fear space because I've, you know, grew up that way. Um, but yeah, it's being in that, like, I'm going to let go. I think it's because you're letting go. Yes. And you're giving up control. Yes. Yes. I just felt that go through my whole body. Yes. That is yeah. exactly right. You are trusting that you live in a, in a good universe that you, you, you know, the doors and the windows are wide open. You're trusting. I was good. Cause when you're in joy, you're, you're really vulnerable. Yes. Yes. That's what I was hearing in my head just now is you are then vulnerable, vulnerable, really vulnerable. You could get hurt. You could have something startle uh-huh. you. Something bad could happen and you're not protected. You're not guarded. Right. Wow. It's the fear of the vulnerability. It's not the joy itself. And if you think about what sugar does to the brain, it it's I equate it to an out of body experience. You know, it it puts you in this almost trance like state sometimes. Mm-hmm. You can't be present and, and you can't relax. Um, and you don't have to feel anything, you know, much less joy. Um, so between the psychological effects and the chemical effects on your body of sugar, it's really powerful. Um, and it's, it is a way of falsely feeling in control. I think sometimes. Mm, Fascinating. Totally. Yeah. Fear triggers it. And then we can control the one thing, which is what we eat. Yeah. And then sometimes the binge is just like this. Oh, Calgon, take me away. Yeah. 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 Symbolically, if you think about what bulimia is, you know, you're basically taking everything in, you totally let go of control. Right. And you're just like, I have no power over any of this. So here it all comes. Like, I'm not even going to feel, I'm just going to block out anything. And then you realize that felt really bad. And a lot of the things I took in felt really bad and I can't live that way anymore. And so the purge is a literal, not only purge of food, but it's this purge of this, these feelings that you didn't even know you had. Mm. That is so cool. I love the symbolism. It's one of the things I really love about your book and the message of if you've got physical symptoms, it's the body doing its best to talk to us, right? So I love, do you want to elaborate on that? I find that really interesting. I would love to. Um, a lot of people, people come to me all, for all sorts of things, whether it's illness, whether it's I want to learn more about my intuition or have a better relationship or, you know, it's not always like like dramatic stuff. Um And so the reports I do, they're very long. And while I absolutely talk about the physical and emotional stuff going on, my guys also bring up things like the relationships that people are in or the trauma or the not being able to set boundaries or that they're not connected with authenticity or all of of the things, if you will, you know, not doing your career path thing. And, And I learned through my recovery, too, that... If you are not being true to yourself, if you're pushing down who you are and you're mistreating yourself, it is incredibly hard for your body to be in a healing state. And I fully believe that our purpose is to be our true selves. And that by being our true selves and listening to intuition, we're guided as to where to go in our lives and what we need to do and what makes us happy. So if we are not listening, if we're not being true to us, that's where illness and symptoms and accidents and things like that come in and literally stop you and get your attention. So if you're in an addictive state and your symptoms get worse or you get into a car accident or, you know, you, whatever, um, our, our intuition is talking to us all the time. We can choose to listen or not. If we push it down, then our symptoms have to get louder and our life circumstances have to get louder and we may lose a job or whatever. But like, if we are listening to our intuition, it doesn't have to be as loud to get our attention. And you like, you know, Grace, I hate being tired, but like being tired and saying, okay, you now need to rest or you need to take a day off of my, my pole addiction 
or, you know, whatever the thing is, but you need to respond and, and take a rest there. And then if you don't, then you get sick, you know? So it's like, okay, I will listen better next time, hopefully, you know? So it's, and the more severe the illness, um, I find with clients, you know, and myself, the longer people have been trying to push down their intuition, have um, fought against being their true selves, you know, have not, um, you know, expressed their feelings, been there, whatever, all that kind of stuff, set boundaries. Um, so the longer you go, the stronger the symptoms have to be and the sicker you have to get, which some people don't really want to hear that. They just want to know what herb can I take? <laughs> it's like, well, you know, it doesn't always work that way. Right. That's very, very interesting. That totally makes sense to me. Right. So, the, right. Because the herb can help, you know, the body, but it's not, it's not the whole picture, right? There's this piece of who are you and are you being authentic? Are you following your path? Are you connected to intuition? Your intuitions. I love in the book how you say you think of intuition as the God within. Absolutely. Yeah, no, totally. And that's what has always made sense to me. Um, and even if you think about whatever it is that you personally need to do to deal with the sugar addiction, um, just giving up that sugar or avoiding it is likely not going to solve the whole problem. You know, it's a, it's a step and it, it might help and help your head be clearer. Um, but it's almost like another form of control where you have to kind of override your body signals. Like it doesn't matter if you want something sweet, you have to be like, I can't do that. You know? Um, so there might be a ton of other stuff going on, um, you know, that you need to uh, accept and deal with before you really feel like, okay, I'm okay with this now. Yeah. 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 I think most of us say that in the addiction recovery space. And I do come from an abstinence based recovery model. Um, and, uh, you know, that, that just was the path that worked for me. For sure, for sure. Ab abstinence first. I just, just, sure. I needed to close the door. I needed sure. to feel it. I needed it to be definitive. I needed yep. it to be a breakup, not a timeout, not, yeah. you know, yeah. friends with benefits. No, absolutely. <laughs> but I realized after a while that, oh my gosh, that was just the beginning. That was just like a tool sure, of recovery. Sure. It wasn't actually recovery. And then I had to do what you're talking about, which I really love that, that I'm also hearing. Because when I see your website and all the amazingness of you, I think, right, we're still always walking the path of always of recovery, of, 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 of sort of falling out of alignment with our, our authentic selves and our intuition and our truth and our self-care oh, and having to nudge ourselves back, you know, back on the path. And it sounds like that's still true for you. Oh my God, it's so true. And, you know, as, as we get older, our bodies change um, and, and the weight composition changes and our metabolism change, all this, you know, stuff. Um, and just doing like, Pole dancing is my addiction. Pole fitness is my, you know, I love it. I'm obsessed with it. <laughs> so it's for so many, like, it's just improved my body image. It's done all sorts of cool things. Um, but I started, I don't weigh myself very much for a lot of reasons. Um, but I, the weight started to creep up on the scale. And I was like, all right, how do I feel about this? Because I knew that the majority of it was muscle. And that I needed that muscle if I was going to then be able to succeed um, on the pole and do the things I needed to do and not get hurt. So I've really, you know, I weigh like 10 pounds more than was my comfort number, if you will. Um, artificial number, totally artificial number, but I weigh 10 pounds more than that. And I'm like, you know what? I, I'm okay with that. And I never would have been in a bathing suit in front of people. And now I'm basically in a bikini in front of people if I want to stick to the pole. So it's adjusting to who you are and who you, who you become. And um, I realized how much of the eating disorder was just these and the body, um, you know, the body dysmorphia is what I was going for. Body dysmorphia and all that. It's really these thoughts in your head and um, just because you have body dysmorphia doesn't mean there's something wrong with your body. <laughs> it's like, you know, um, 
and priorities change. But yeah, it's, it's, it's always a work in progress and, you know, um, and catching myself and, and yeah. 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 There's no like, Oh, we get a pass at a certain point. Oh, I never have to keep growing or tuning in and aligning and adjusting and getting, getting crisp, not being a control freak and letting go and knowing, I think it's very challenging knowing when to step back and trust spirit and be like, okay, things are working out the way they're working out. And I'm going to take, pull my agenda back a little here and when to then step in and be like, okay, I have to take some action and do something. I think that's incredibly tricky under any circumstances. Yes. Yes. I love your definition of life purpose. I know that I feel um, that I am living my my life purpose, probably more or less. Um, but my husband complains all the time. I don't know what my life purpose is. Like, well, how do people find these things? But I love that your definition is just to figure out who you authentically are, to accept, to be neutral, to be open and curious about who you are, you know, and um, and to accept that and then grow to love it and then to, to, to be in alignment with it that where you feel feel like you're not sort of suppressing parts of yourself and what more what more of a purpose do we need yeah and i think we don't have just one life purpose we have tons of them like i'm a mom i'm a wife i'm doing this work with people i'm <clears throat> so many things like there's just so many things in my life that have a purpose that i feel good about that i feel aligned with yeah so I feel like there's so many and they, they grow and change as we get older. I didn't know that I had medical intuitive abilities until my mid forties. Um, even though I was doing very intuitive work as a therapist, you know, I didn't know I could do all this stuff. Um, and now I really feel like this is my major calling here. You know, not that the work I was doing before wasn't important either. God. So, um, you know, I think that as we grow and change, there's a lot of things that we do that are significant and important and feel good to us. Oh my gosh, that makes sense to me. Okay, let's uh, let's wrap up this interview with. Uh, it was brilliant, and amazing. Thank you. Thank you. With um, with the, the practical writing exercise, it's actually one of my favorites in your book. And I just was that good. Like I thought, maybe we can give them something that they can they can take and work with to start start on this path of deeper healing recovery. So can you describe how it works? Absolutely. So the first thought is remembering that that intuition is pure love. Um, I think of it as a perfect bodyguard or a perfect parent, um, something that is always with us, loving us, protecting us, giving us guidance. So when you're connected with intuition, even if you're by yourself, you're not alone. You now have a team. You can be a separate entity and not care so much about what other people are thinking. So that's kind of the the premise to it. And the technique is to physically write out a question or thoughts or your feelings and direct it to whatever you resonate with as being your intuition. Now, as I said, it could be God. It could be a loved one in spirit. It could be your dog. It could be, you know, whatever you feel um, is protective and loving. So you write out your thing. And then just listen for whatever you hear, feel, see in response to what you wrote and write that down and then write back to it and then write down what you get and write back. So you're having a written dialogue with your intuition and it could be five minutes. It could be 20 minutes. I should be a formal exercise. Sometimes it's on a napkin, you know, my car whatever. Um, but One of the things I will often ask is like, do you have anything to tell me? So it can be super general. Um, I might ask a question about like, okay, you know, should I promote this month or should I, is this a good podcast for me or is zillions of things you can ask, right? Um, Often what I do is I just start writing because I don't always know what I'm feeling you know, my husband will be like, there's something bothering you. And I'll be like, I don't realize it. And they'll start writing. And I'm like, oh, there we go. That's what was going on. So it's a way, like, I'll start writing as I'm writing to a friend. And then through that exercise and through me asking for feedback, you know, you can learn a lot of stuff. So um, 
it's basically opening up that dialogue. And then the reason it's so significant and so important is because when you write, you have to stop what you're doing. You have to sit down you know, or stand at least and stop what you're doing. So if you are in the throes of addiction mode or anxiety or depression or whatever, you're immediately thrown into the present. You're not thinking about the past. You're not thinking about the future. You're just thinking about this exercise that you're doing. And because you are using your arm, it brings your body into things. We get a lot of signals from our body that are important. It really becomes this mindfulness meditation, you know, if you will. Um, a lot of us can't quiet our minds. <laughs> You'll see this charge. But that's an amazing way to meditate and to get signals from your intuition. So um, one of the ways that I recovered from the eating disorder was also talking to my eating disorder as a friend, realizing, oh, wow, you're not here to hurt me. You're not evil. You know, you're not here to kill me. You are here to get my attention help me be authentic, learn to use my gifts, help me to love myself, propel me into where I'm supposed to go. And I was like, okay, so why are you here? How can I help you heal? Sometimes I was mad at it, which is totally fine, you know, but you're, you're opening up a dialogue with your body and with your symptoms. And it's a great way to get information. Um, and there's a lot of things that can interfere with connecting to intuition. And there's a big long list of my book, but um, as well as more ways to connect to intuition. But, um, you know, one of them is overthinking and just being like, is this, is this really me? Is this just a voice in my head? Um, you know, um, why don't I see fireworks or see angels when I'm communicating? Is this supposed to be some kind of metaphysical experience? Um, you know, what if I'm wrong? What if I listen and I'm wrong? Um, I'm not really intuitive. I can't really do this, you know, um, you may hear things that don't relate to what you wrote. That's okay. It's just your intuition telling you something else. Um, you know, but a lot of it, it's that, that fear of being wrong or the fear of, of listening and then feeling like you have to do what it says, you know, like knowing I really am in a sucky relationship or I hate this job or whatever, and I really need to get out. But if I listen to my intuition, tell me that, then I have to act on it tomorrow. And that's super overwhelming and it may not, it's not realistic. So, so to just kind of be open to what it tells you, let it sit there, realize you have choices. Um, maybe ask it, how can I start? You know, what's a first step? Um, things like that. Um, but it's kind of like we talked about being open to the positive, you know, and being open to having power and having choices, which can be really scary. Mm. Incredible. So interesting. Yeah, that was that was just exactly where I was going to ask you is how do you know when you're dialoguing with maybe a body part that's hurting? And how do you know you're just making that crap up? Okay, great question. So it doesn't matter. Um, if it's good information, just allow it. Be like, I don't care if you're coming from my coffee mug over there. If you're if it's good information, and it's resonating with me, I'm going to go with it. I'm going to pay attention to it. I'm going to see where it takes me, you know, because even if it's coming from you, we're smart. We have good things to say too, you know? So it's a, it's as legitimate a source as the a legitimate, a source of information as intuition is. Well, good point. Yeah. I yeah. thought about that. that's a really, really cool way of looking at it. Thank you for that. Right. At the very least, I, I might be just getting my own intelligence and what I right. read and what, you know, what I kind of think consciously, and maybe it's not some divinely resourced, inspired insight yeah. or pulling up a memory or pulling up something that like, Oh, wow. I remember that person doing, cause a lot of people say, well, when I'm doing it, like I think about other people, well, maybe you're supposed to think about a circumstance that is similar to yours and how they helped themselves or something, you know, just kind of go with it. Right. Right. Just go with it, flow with it, trust it, have fun with it. Yeah. And I really love that piece. Um, I'll just reiterate and then we'll wrap up today that th this dialogue with journaling you know, that you're listening for, for thoughts, images, sensations, things you might see, th feelings, right? That it isn't just like, oh, it just pours out as words. It might actually be like an image that pops up. Then you just sort of say, I saw a fire truck or whatever, like you said, that one time, that one painting. Yeah, that you just be really open and receptive and be creative and playful and, and open and see. And if you do see an image, like you see a peacock, 
look it up. Look up the different various symbolic meanings of it. You know? Uh. Yeah, it's what it's such a playful way of, of 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 being in our inner world. You know, like there's the external world, and then there's there's the in the inner kingdom, and you know how how do we how do we go in there without being so afraid that we're gonna exactly yeah that we this is a, a playful way and a really practical way of doing this. So I absolutely love it. Thank you so much. Is there any final words you would like to share today on the topic of? Of, 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 of addiction and food trauma and struggles and recovery. What I would like to say to people is to give yourself a break, to send yourself love, realize that you're not alone. You don't have to be ashamed of anything. You don't have to be ashamed of the addiction or, you know, I used to throw up in plastic bags in my room. It's gross, whatever I did it, you know? So we all do stuff when we're in the throes of pain um, and to allow yourself to be okay and to not be okay um, to ask for help and that things, if you allow them to, things really do get better. I, I thought there was no hope at all and that I just had to kill myself. That was the only alternative and look at my life now. It's incredible. How can people find you and work with you, Katie? Yes. So um, my website is, uh, it's katiebeecher.com. So K-A-T-I-E-B-E-E-C-H-E-R.com. Um, I'm doing a online course about connecting to your intuition and, um, and growing and, and building your own like spirituality, health-based business. It's um, October, 17, uh, four, October 14th. Um, and so there's information about that on like my Instagram, which is just Katie Beecher Medical Intuitive and Um, but yeah, you can get my book from my website or Amazon or wherever you want to get it from. Um, so yeah, a good place to start is, is website and then Instagram and stuff. It's beautiful. It's an amazing website. Katie, thank you for your time today and for your story of recovery. It's, it's beautiful and inspirational. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. (laughs) Thanks everybody for tuning in today. Thanks for tuning in this week. If you would like more interviews, more information, and more inspiration on how to break up with sugar, go to my YouTube channel, Kick Sugar Coach, or my website, kicksugarcoach.com. See you next week.